And now I have uh, one of the youngest but most influential, I will say, uh, members of the Miami Heat media. Uh, you know him as the lead Miami Heat writer for Five Reasons Sports. It's his second time on this podcast, but the first solo mission. Uh, one of the focal points, as I said, of Heat Twitter, certainly in that proverbial starting five, I will say. And, and, and you're how old now, Brady Hawk? I am 20. God. <laughs> so the 20-year-old Brady Hawk uh, joins us on today's episode of Miami Mike Dub. Brady, thank you so much uh, for coming back to the podcast. Very excited to have you. Um, first question right off the bat. Is there anything recently outside of work, outside of basketball, that has brought you joy? So I'll say, because I did remember this question. You mentioned this is the second time. I, I got to remember this one. <laughs> you, you framed it as outside of basketball, but I'll say outside of like covering basketball. Okay. Honestly, playing basketball is okay. kind of the thing that's brought me joy. Just in, in terms of just getting and being able to go and play again and kind of like... People always say it's like therapy, like it is, like just going out there and just playing basketball for hours and just kind of forgetting about everything else. Like it's like, it's just, it is, it brings joy. So I think that's kind of been my thing. Are you playing in a lot of like pickup games or are you playing more just yeah. going out there and shooting on your, oh, you're playing pickup games. All right. Where do you, yeah, where do you so play? Just, well, I play uh, at Flamingo Park over here. They have like oh, a yeah. lot of good runs over here. So I do that kind of a couple times a week sometimes. So try to get out there as much as possible. So that's kind of the thing that I'd be trying to do. All right, so now the people know where they can go challenge Brady if they don't like <laughs> his takes on Twitter. Uh, all right, well, I, I want to get into this because, as you mentioned, you're you're 20 years old. So I do want to talk a little bit about your early career arc here because it's unbelievable to me that you are the lead Miami Heat writer for five reasons. I've been following you now for a couple of years. Um, you know, we always chat at the games, and, and you have a great basketball mind. It's it, Clearly, people have taken notice of that. Um, but what first brought basketball into your life as as a passion like how did you first connect with the game or even with the NBA as, as a young fan so I'll say I think it all ties back to the heat in some way because I'm seven years old and the big heat is for and the big three is formed. oh god so like when you have oh that right god. in front of your eyes like it's just uh easy to follow along with it so I think that's kind of where it started I always was a big Dwayne Wade fan it was just everything was always Dwayne Wade uh and then obviously I played basketball, kind of fast forwarding to the fact of uh, around 2020, obviously I kind of had the mindset a little bit before that I was kind of saying sports agent, I kind of want to get into in some capacity. Uh, it started actually, I was saying sports medicine, then I said sports agent, and then it was just basically the, the common thread was sports in some capacity. Right. Uh, and then randomly kind of around COVID, I kind of just started reaching out to different things. And I reached out the five reasons, which I was kind of unsure even what was even it was. And then mm -hmm. uh, it just kind of spiraled from there where I just kind of started covering things little by little where I was just writing post game articles. I was emailing them to uh, Ethan. I actually started emailing them originally. I, they weren't even being posted. I used to email them to Alphonse Sydney, where I would yep. just send him an email of like what happened just so that like it could be reviewed. Uh, and then I started posting them obviously after games and then COVID, you know, we, it always comes back to that. Mm -hmm. But once it was started happening with the Zoom calls and everything, I always say like it gave a level playing field where like everybody was able to do the same thing. Like there was no exclusive access. There was no one on ones. It was like I ended up being on the same as a, as a 16 year old kid on the same Zoom calls as everybody else. So, crazy. so it was it was just a wild thing that happened so quickly. Uh, and then obviously the Miami Heat's incredible run in that in that bubble year definitely helped as well. So. It all started there. And then obviously this is now my third year covering on site. So it's kind of 
gotten to this place, but I think it's more so about finding what I wanted to do specifically, which is kind of focusing on the basketball part of things. So that's kind of been my focus. Well, you led me perfectly into the next question. And it is crazy what you mentioned of of being a 16-year-old on those Zoom calls. You know, I, I remember from from the Marlins perspective, um, Peter Pratt, who hosts Locked On Marlins, he, he was in the UK. And he was all of a sudden, as as a fan at the time, able to jump on these Zoom calls and be able yeah. to kind of ask questions and take part of all of that to where now, you know, he still sort of plays more of a troll character on Twitter sometimes. But he is someone who was informed and had the same access that really did even that playing field. And so someone like you, as a high school kid, could jump into this and, and given the opportunity and experience, be able to grow within it, which is so exciting to have something like that. So exciting to have something like five reasons to give you the platform. I, I had the same thing when I first graduated from college, joining and doing swings and misses, which was underneath the five reasons umbrella at the time. And it's it's been great to give young people an opportunity to start. And that that's the space that we're in with technology right now. But as you mentioned, you know, COVID and then the pandemic, and it all really exacerbated all of that. But you did leave in, you know, lead into that next question pretty well because you've created, as you mentioned, kind of a wonderful niche for yourself. Um, because, and, and I say this with sincerity, you break down the game as well as anybody. And so, what, what, from going from sports medicine to sports agent to I'll write these articles post game, what drew you to breaking down the game in such an instructive way? And and how did you, or did you know that it would pop digitally? Definitely didn't know. Definitely did not know that that would happen. Um, I'll say I remember like kind of toward the beginning of when I was trying to figure out the next step. I remember talking to Nikias Duncan where I was kind of picking his brain of just like the next steps and everything. I remember he kept telling me like, you have to find your thing. Like you have to kind of figure out like, is it reporting? Is it film breakdown? Is it whatever it is, like find your thing. And then like right when he said that, I pretty much was like, like I that if you're giving me those options, I know what my thing is. Like right. I think I I'd rather talk about the basketball. I'd rather get into the specifics of it. I'd rather do all of the little stuff. Uh and then from that point on, I just kind of was more open about putting it out there and just more so just putting it out there onto social media and kind of breaking it down in a different way. Because look, when you're first starting and you're like a an 18-year-old kid that's like trying to like tell people what's happening on the court, like I I wouldn't trust an 18 year old kid to like tell me what's happening in an NBA game. Like, so like I'm thinking to myself, well, why would anybody else? So it ended up kind of spiraling. That's another thing that spiraled in a positive direction. And then now I kind of gotten to the point where you could do video stuff or I've done a lot of threads that seem yeah. to go do pretty well. So it's like just about looking at things differently. I feel like it's just trying to find, cause it's, there's enough people that talk about the narratives. And I think a lot of people talk about that. There's enough people that talk about the different elements of basketball, which also are a necessary aspect. Like I think those are necessary conversations, but I'm just more of a fan is if we're covering basketball and you're watching basketball, like why is this stuff happening? Not just like what happened, why is it happening? How did it happen? And kind of getting into those questions. So that's kind of been my enjoyment of, of looking at of the game in general. So it's, that's kind of been my focus. But I think that that's a really good perspective to have and to know that both sides of it are, are important. You know, for me, I look at the narrative side of it, and obviously that's that's sort of where I've made my proverbial money and and I guess literal money is in the narrative side. But it, yeah. but I also, in the same way that you're talking about trying to find the why, you know, for me, I look at it and I go, okay, 
let's not just talk about all of the narratives that everybody's talking about. Let's try to get into mm. the personalities of these guys or maybe the mental side of things. And that's something that, you know, I admired Dan Lebitard and lucky enough to, to work with him a bit now, but saw someone in this market sort of creating that type of role from the beginning. And so for you, you know, you just mentioned Nikias, but I wonder, like, were there any sort of, you know, role models or inspirations in this field that you looked at and you said, okay, you know, as I'm sort of ascending here and doing this, these are some people I want to model my game after. And in that sense, have there been any sort of like, oh, bleep moments of, of someone like sharing your stuff or acknowledging your work that, that kind of stand out to you? Uh, JJ Reddick was a good one, I, I think, That's from the finals. <laughs> yeah, that was that one caught me by surprise because I randomly just like went on my phone and everybody was adding me saying he mentioned me on the podcast and then he's like quote tweeting my thread so i was like okay that's that's a good one like if i'm getting approved from a an nba player that Man. that my stuff is correct i'm like okay I'll, I'll take that so i think that was a good one uh and there was also i'm, I'm trying to think of his name exactly he's currently the you know a gm of some kind in portland but he was doing the, the espn stuff is it schmitz or, or something oh yeah let me i'm gonna figure this out for you because i know who you're I, talking about I couldn't think of the name on the top of my head, but he did stuff before where I was a fan of where I used to, I remember I used to watch him all the time. That was, he'd sit down with college players or high school players and just do like a breakdown, like of like for like 30 right. minutes, 40 minutes where he would just go through and pick their brains. And it's a different aspect. It's not just purely just telling you what's happening. It was like just an interesting aspect that I think that was kind of the first thing I saw and I was into where I was like, okay, I like this aspect of it where you're kind of not just, figuring out telling what's happening it's like asking the player what they're seeing and stuff so i was i was a fan of, of him specifically it is mike schmitz um that's a that's a perfect example um and and again you keep leading me right into the questions that i want to ask you because <laughs> just throwing loves yeah man you're 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 doing my job for me because you know we talk about basketball content it comes in all different shapes and sizes right i'm doing the the potentially humanizing questions you know you've got guys that are asking the 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 blanket information questions, you know, like the beat writers who are just getting us the blanket information. You've got other guys who are more interested in the narrative, but for you, it comes to breaking down the game. And so that also involves asking players, asking coaches. And I, I've watched you ask some very specific questions, sometimes about a singular play in a game. So why do you make that sort of concerted effort to do that? What type of prep goes into it for you to make sure, like, all right, I'm finding the right moment to ask about? And have you noticed that those players and coaches maybe like it more or sometimes do they like it less than some of the other sort of, uh, I'll say, repetitive questions that can happen throughout a media cycle? I'll say just from my perspective, I'd say the coach in Eric's Spolstra may not love them <laughs> <laughs> because he's somebody, especially – with the way they do things, it's everything is in-house. Everything is trying to keep everything mm -hmm. behind closed doors. And like what talking about, it, especially on the podium where oh, you're yeah. like your microphone, cameras, and you're talking about it. But like, that's that's my opportunity to ask those questions. And so it's like, your I, job. Just, yeah, right. So it's a, I think there's more of a leeway in the regular season. I think the, the yeah. points in the stairs coach though come in playoff time because playoff spo is a real thing. Uh, but Big I think time. from the player's perspective, I think it is kind of a different change of speed. Like even I was, I was asking Caleb and Jaime about specific plays last night. I was even, I, I wish I could just show them clips and go through them. Right. Like we were talking about before, but I'm trying right. to like just remind them of specific plays to kind of go through and I'll put the clips later as I was doing, but the, I just, I'm interested to hear what they're seeing. 
Like it's specifically like Jaime, I think is a great example. And I'm sure we're going to get into him later. Yeah, we are. But like with the way that he reads things and everything is so slow paced and everything is just about reading whatever you do wrong as a defender. It's an interesting perspective to kind of pick a brain of like what he's looking for when he's facing up on somebody or doing mm-hmm. those type of things. So I'm just interested in those specific plays because he's somebody I could talk to all day about those right. plays. Cause he probably has seven, 17 plays a game where he's doing that. Uh, but it does feel like the players kind of – it's a different kind of perspective from them because they're not used to answering those questions. Cooper Moorhead does a good job of asking those type of questions Absolutely. as well uh, kind of from a basketball perspective. But I'm just interested to hear that kind of perspective because, as you mentioned before, they're answering the same question – literally the same question over and over, it feels like, a lot of the time, and it could get repetitive. So if you ask specifics about something that happened that night, I think I, that's just more intriguing to me as even an outs- like an outsider. Well, and I think that that for you – um, this sort of uh, is, a, is almost a deeper conversation about the state of sports media and that you are in a position where you're empowered to ask the, the basketball breakdown question because I imagine, and I don't know how your, your job actually works, but I would imagine there's no specific requirement of you've got to have these things there or this many articles written or anything like that and so i think it it puts a lot of people in a position where you know even if even if the journalist wants to do some of the things that you're talking about they're not really put in the position to do so because of the sort of generalized space that everyone's in when it comes to clicks when it comes to everything else and it's why i feel so grateful to be empowered to have a a podcast where i can like ask you these questions about your career because i don't think there's a ton of people who were given the opportunity to do so and i think that like it really does show kind of the space that we're in that hey man you're just trying to break down basketball you're just trying to talk to these guys about the game that they play um so let's do that Let's start talking about basketball. Let's let's move off of the career stuff and talk basketball. Uh, the Heat are now ten and eight. They've officially missed their opportunity to go to the knockout rounds in the in-season tournament. They're zero and three in their last three after wins in nine of ten. I'm looking sort of here off the top for your overall takeaways in the first quarter or so of this season. Have have the Heat come in under, at, or above your expectations thus far this season? I would definitely say above expectations. And I think I think the expectation was that they were deep, mm. but I don't know if there was the expectation that individual players were at another level. Like the, the individual players baseline for me has been the expectations that have been kind of gone past. Like we were talking about the high maze of the world or, or even different guys we'll get into. But the depth of this team where you look at the team last night, no three, three starters were not playing and they did lose. But I'd say that was, there's not many, losses in this league where you're kind of walking away and saying well that was that was a a good loss where you felt like you grew you felt like there was good signs that was one of them because you have a milwaukee team on the other side that's sitting in that locker room saying the guy that dropped 56 on us last year it wasn't even playing and we had to do that like those there's those mental things where i feel like you feel good about this team in that uh perspective i think defensively i feel like there is good enough signs we have not seen them whole with every defender on the floor but I like what I've seen defensively overall. And it feels like a Spo roster defensively to me, just the way that he's just signaling different things every time down where he could throw you the two, two, one press in his yep. zone and, and bam is playing more drop this season. Then he'll randomly throw his switch in and now he's on Damian Lillard and blocking it out of bounds. Like it just feels like a roster that's really built for Spo. It feels like they have a lot of depth at different positions. Obviously the point guard was the big one, but as we've seen this year, they haven't really, uh, they've gone different ways from the point guard position where they really have leaned into the positionless thing. So 
they sit at 10 and 8, as you said. They had that big 9 and 1 run that I think you felt really good about this team. We're still yet to see them with Tyler Hero in the rest right. of the group, which makes it, it feels like they're going to have a completely new team to figure out once again, that it's just about a, another adjustment period. So we'll see what happens then. But it's hard not to feel decent about this team with kind of the, you mentioned from the narrative perspective, and that's always a part of this. They had a big narrative across this team in the offseason. That was like, how will they respond? They responded pretty well, in my opinion, to start the mm-hmm. season. I think so, too. And, and you know, it, it feels like almost for the, as silly as this is, for a team that was the number one seed and went to the Eastern Conference Finals. And then last year was an eight seed that went, or rather a seven seed that became an eight, that went all the way yeah. to the to the NBA Finals. Uh for the first time in a while, when they say we have enough, I like genuinely believe it. Uh, <laughs> where when Jimmy Butler's out, when Tyler Hero's out, when Haywood Highsmith is out, you still feel like there's an opportunity to win games. And yeah, maybe they were missing a little too much when they were playing against Brooklyn. But you look at this team, and it, it is great to see that level of depth. I think that I think that your perspective is is an interesting one, right? Because from from a record perspective, if you just blanketly look at 10 and 8 and you look at some of the losses along the way, you go, "Ah, how could this be a team that's sort of superseding your expectations?" But hmm. when you look at it from an individual player perspective, you have seen so many individual performances that stand out, including Tyler Hero to start the season, who was playing really, really well before he got hurt and looking to be taking the next step as a playmaker for others as well. Jimmy, who's had his moments. Bam, who has been spectacular. Those guys all having great seasons around the rest of these role players playing so well. It makes you hope that that can sustain for the entire season once this group is fully together. But it is time to finally focus on Jaime Hawkins Jr., All right, let's get specific with a few guys, and you knew it had to start there because I think he's really the guy who has truly blown everyone away to start this season. You just put a thread out earlier. uh, It was either today or from last night. I no longer know anything with Twitter. Uh, It's the worst website in the world, um, despite it being the only thing that I'm ever on, uh, about his performance (laughs) against the Bucs last night. Um, He's on pace for a pretty special, efficient, productive rookie season what stands out to you about his game and you mentioned a little bit of it already but what stands out to you that's made him such an effective player here in his rookie season to start what's unique about him I have to start with the defensive end first because I feel like that's been when I talk about exceeding expectations that's been that for me uh Mm -hmm. and it's not to say that he was a negative defender coming in and that was what we thought but to be guarding other teams' best players, like game in and game out. Like right. he went through a run where he was guarding everybody's best player and he, he was doing a really good job on it. The only one that he, like the numbers didn't show as a great job was Jason Tatum. And there were some possessions in there where he was getting hooked and he was just competing. And I'm like, yep. this guy can really hold up defensively and do different things. And almost Jimmy-like with this kind of off-ball stuff where you can get on the break where you're going to keep hearing that comparison no matter what yeah, we talk non-stop. about. Right. Uh, so that was kind of the exceeding expectations thing. Now you talk about the offensive end. And there's just so much to talk about with him on that side of the floor. Like the question was, can he shoot the three ball consistently? Well, he has, right. but it hasn't even really mattered because he's done everything else to the next extent that they've just been able to lean on that stuff. Like they're running offense through him in the mid post. Uh, it's not, it, it, he's playmaking out of it and kind of finding things on, on the ball. But then he's also doing stuff where he's just turning into fadeaway jumpers. He's fade, face-ups, jabs, and shimmies into the lane where he's just, like I said earlier, he's just looking for his defender to make one small mistake. If it's the 
shift of his front foot, if it's the shift of the hips, like if it's anything, he he can get by you. Last this game, this past game against Chris Middleton, he had the similar look. He throws a shot fake, but it's like you look at the specifics of it, like his shot fakes are so high. Like he throws a high shot fake that you're almost yep. forced to get off your feet. Now it's a wide open layup. So he does all these little things on the ball. But the thing that stuck out to me more than anything has been the stuff off ball where he's just cutting, moving, never stops. Like he's just always finds and It's not just like there's guys that just run and just <laughs> don't stop <laughs> right, moving right. and cutting, but he finds the right moments. Like he finds the right gaps. He waits for his defender to look away. He waits for them to pull away in, in, into an action and help. And then he's there. And it's just, that's the stuff that's Jimmy like. Cause we always seen yep. Jimmy float that baseline. He's always, it's actually funny because there's some videos going around from last night where he's on the bench and the whole time he's just like, he's telling Jamal Kane, like, wait till they pull over and just float that baseline. I talked to Caleb after the game and he was, Caleb was telling, he was telling Caleb, just float that baseline and wait for the defender to pull over. And that's what Jaime's doing. And it's like, that is just kind of the, the natural thing of this heat offense that you need. Uh, so he's just picked up on stuff so quickly. So I think that's just been the biggest thing. And he always gets credit for the four years of college being the reason, but I've seen guys that have gone to college four years and have not looked like this. He is just absolutely skilled and he's just, he's just a really good young player. He just has such a high basketball IQ and that's what allows you to fit into a, a system and a team like this. We've seen so many young players who needed a lot of seasoning, right? To learn how to play in an Eric Spolstra offense, an Eric Spolstra defense that at times can get a bit complicated because like you mentioned before, he's willing to throw a bunch of different defenses at you in the span of a singular game, right? And so to be able to kind of not only keep up with it, but thrive in it, to to look like your miniature version of Jimmy Butler off the bench, like who's able to come in and create some of the same things offensively and defensively has just been so impressive. And, you know, we were all watching his highlights as, you know, the draft happened and it was like, oh, that kind of looks like Jimmy. But I don't think anybody ever would have anticipated that he could have such an effective and efficient start to his season. You know, I remember, I, I think we spoke, there was a home game where he had to start and he started like 0 of 6 from 3. Mm-hmm. And the conversation that that we were all having up in the media section was like, man, he's still playing really good defense. And he's still yeah. flowing as a part of this offense. And his confidence isn't shaken at all. And to watch guys that, that we've seen on this roster have to go through some of the ups and downs of not only learning, but having their confidence shaken. To see him succeeding in this way on a team that he knew man, this is a team with championship expectations right from the jump. And to come in and, and feel so comfortable, you see the way that he he interacts with the guys in the locker room. like, And maybe that's the part that, that comes with four years of college, that you've been through these moments, you've played so much basketball. But I think you're right. This is a guy who clearly just has skill and a basketball IQ that's going to allow him to be a really effective player in this league for a long time to come. So I think that he'd have to be really excited about it. Um one of these guys who kind of actually needed some seasoning at the beginning of his career was a backup to Hassan Whiteside to start his career and seemingly could only catch lobs on the offensive end in his rookie season. It's Bam Adebayo, who has continued to ascend every single year. I mean, we've been talking about it along with with the rest of Heat Twitter forever, but he should always be in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation. You know, I've been most impressed this season by the leap that he's taken once again offensively, which is unbelievable because I, I didn't, I truly didn't know or think that there would be another one. Um, is there to you like a, a single biggest factor that stands out to you on that offensive end 
that's allowed him to move into this this other category of a guy who can drop 30 on any given night? I'd say the first thing that comes to my mind is the free throw attempts because it's just more so about his it's his aggressiveness, but it's also the fact that he has real gravity now that it's not just him like bowling down the lane into, into getting fouls. Like he's getting people off their feet at the elbow and jumping in them, getting to the line. So it's like, there's a respect level now. And I thought last night against Milwaukee was a great example because the whole conversation with him shooting jumpers started with Brooke Lopez. Yes, it did. And and then you go full circle and I look at the display he's putting with the jumpers last night. And I'm like, it's just a totally different guy. It's just mm-hmm. a totally different player with a totally different mindset. Uh, so I think the free throw attempts open things up, but specifically with the jumper, like last year, there was a big leap because he started taking them at a high clip. Like he started, there was high volume. It was a lot of just normal pull-ups at the elbow, but now you're seeing him like find new counters into getting to the jumper where like he keeps throwing like this left shoulder fake and then into a, a yeah. fadeaway jumper. Like, that's like a rhythm shot for him now. Like yep. there was his old rhythm shot was the jab into the jumper. Now it's like a left shoulder fake into the jumper. But then he's also did one where he throws a right shoulder fake. And it's like a tough, tough fade away over Giannis. So you're like, there's nothing you could do about that. Like there's like the, there's players that you kind of just walk down the other end and you're like, hey, that's just a great shot. Like Bam is getting to the point where he's just naturally doing that consistently. Uh, and then there's the normal pull ups, and then there's just the normal stuff around the rim where he's just kind of being highly effective. Uh, and he, look. Everybody always talks about the next leap being the three-point shot. I've never really been a, a person that's thought that. He's taking the leap without it yet again. So <laughs> yep. there's still always going to be, maybe that's why that no ceiling thing is always attached to him. Because if he feels like getting to the three-point line, he can. Yep. But he doesn't need to yet. He could still be highly effective with what he's doing. And then you mentioned defensively. I'm intrigued by the stuff he's doing on that end as well. Because he's not having to switch as much, I'd say, in general, where everything else has become problematic and maybe he's not having as many quote unquote highlights. Even let's just say that that's not happening. He's impacting the game more in my opinion with his role, because he's just doing so many things and and just shifting all over the place that it just feels like this defense. He is the defense on a night in night out basis. Well, so, so, all right. So that said, I want you to do this for me because I'm, I'm, I'm sick of seeing tweets from NBA Central that tell me that the odds of Defensive Player of the Year don't even include Bam Adebayo. Like, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. And so, Brady, with your basketball acumen in mind, I need you to make the pitch here so that people can understand it 18 games into the season why Bam Adebayo should be the Defensive Player of the Year. Well, number one, he could guard your best player and lock up your best player. I think that's first of all. And it doesn't matter if it's Damian Lillard to Giannis Antetokounmpo. It doesn't matter what position they play. They could literally stick him on him and guard 94 feet, and he's able to do that if need be. But we've seen that, and we've gotten that dose, and that does not seem to get the credit it deserves. And I think they've shifted things now where he's not a quote-unquote rim protector, let's say, as like a Rudy Gobert or these others, but he's impacting just as much, in my opinion. Like watching the way he's playing in drop, and he doesn't have to do it by getting crazy block numbers, even though he has actually done a decent job with the defensive-specific numbers. He's just doing it and just bothering people and containing in pick and rolls. And then he'll do stuff off ball where he'll just throw a random double in. And then he's switching again. And then it just feels like it's just a nonstop cycle that they can keep funneling through. And then he's in a zone where now you're limited. Like he plays a good amount of minutes in zone because usually the the, the first lineup in the second quarter is a lineup they run zone with. And that's the yep. lineup he's in. There's limitations there. Still, if there's a if there's a player on the right of him, if it's Duncan on the box and there's a mistake, he's covering it up. Like everything revolves around what he's doing. And not everything has to be about steals or blocks. Not everything has to be about all these 
fun numbers or a fun defensive play. It's defensive player of the year because it's pure impact. And that's, yep. that's just what he does. So it's just tough to keep looking at the, the fall off of like advanced statistics when he goes out of the game and not think that it's clear that he's doing it. So right. I don't know how else to explain it. The guy is just probably the best defender in basketball. And it, it just, he deserves to get credit for it. He's been the best uh, defender in basketball for what feels like a while in, in my view. And I just can't wait. You know, you want to talk narratives. This team starts rattling off some more wins. We're talking about what he's doing on the offensive end. We know what he is on the defensive end. I'm going to start. I'll be the first one to start it. We'll, we'll be doing some Bam at a bio for MVP conversation on here uh, come 60 games into the season. Just because <laughs> why not? Why not? Uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity here before I give you one more question to sort of wrap up. Um, another player on this team. So you have the pick of whoever you want here that has stood out to you that either their play has surprised you or has sort of left you going, all right, well, you know, that's certainly going to help the team moving forward. That guy's going to be a, a big factor toward whether or not, you know, this team makes the run that they hope to make. First guy that pops to my head is Duncan Robinson. Has it, it just, it has to be. Because... I almost just asked you about Duncan, but I wanted to give you the leeway to, to pick him yourself. That was nice of you. Um <laughs> I think it's just more so about we talked about him evolving and he started at a certain spot, but just like nobody expected this level of inside the arc basketball where he is doing stuff with an actual bag where he is running pick and rolls and getting to the basket and throwing nice finishes. He's off ball cuts are so deadly because there's so much respect about him sprinting to the three point line. So if he comes off a hard screen, He's going to be open over the top because you can't go under the screen. He's Duncan Robinson. Right. Uh, and you're just seeing all this other these other small pieces kick in where I think his playmaking has taken another step. It started with like, oh, this guy's a pretty good pocket passer when he's when he gets the handoff from Bam. And then it's like, oh, wait, he just threw a skip pass. Oh, wait, he's he's making plays on the move in the lane. Like it's like there's all these different elements. And he's still shooting the three ball well. Like I, I saw, you know, last night it felt like he was a little hard on himself after that Milwaukee game. But it's just it, that's just who he is. He is always going to be a player that's hard on himself. That's just the the level he plays to. That is what he yep. uh, thinks about as a person, just as a player. He puts himself to a different standard. So I just think he deserves a lot of credit because healthy, not healthy, he's going to have a major role on this team. If he's coming off the bench behind Tyler Hero when he returns, he is playing a major role in those lineups. He is on the ball a ton. He is forcing most of their actions. I'm actually interested in that because I think him and Hawk is – have a really good chemistry just because both of them move so well without the ball and both of them's gravity are in two different areas, one inside the paint and one beyond the arc. That's like they play off each other really well. So I'm interested in that a little more, but even when guys step out, he's slotting into the starting lineup and it's like, Oh, it's 2020 again. I can, mm -hmm. I know what I'm doing here. And it's just like, it's good to see him kind of get this opportunity, but also really take advantage of it because there was so much talk about him not playing in past years. And it, you see that, he was doing work behind the scenes. He was working on the other parts of his game that when he got his opportunity, he'd be ready. And he's shown that he's been ready. No, we've talked about it on, on the broadcast and, and on here that, you know, last year he was spending time playing two on two with Udonis Haslam, yeah. Jamal Kane, and Orlando Robinson. Like that's what would be happening when you'd show up to practice. And it's like, this is one of the highest paid players on the team, but he's putting mm -hmm. in that level of work, playing two on two, trying to add more to his game. And it's paid dividends. He's playing really, really well. And it was a cool moment to be able to ask him after, and now I'm forgetting even who they played in the last game that I covered on the sideline, but he was our interview in the winner's circle. And it was so cool to be able to 
to to just see him experiencing what this elevation has been what this season has been so far for him I asked him about you know playing with a little more joy this year and he was like yeah man like I I feel so much more free I feel so much more loose I feel like the team's empowered me you know and 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 he has a role kind of no matter what and to be able to go in with that mindset of like look it doesn't matter whether I'm 0 of 7 0 of 20 or 15 of my last 20 from three I'm doing enough that whether I'm shooting the ball well or not, I can impact this game in other ways. So that's a, a confidence boost. And then also to know that you have that role, no matter what, you know, where it's not an overabundance of of the same type of player. He's the only player on this team who is Duncan Robinson. Um, and to be able to have that uh, effective, um, you know, confidence going forward, I think is, is, is huge for him. Um, and it's huge for this team because, man, I... I said it the other day on Levitard show. It feels like there's a bit of an embarrassment of riches for them. Despite the 10 and eight record, I think there are so many reasons to believe that, you know, this team's headed in the right direction. And so, you know, I am still really high on this team because I think health has been a clear factor in the reason why they are 10 and eight. What are your general expectations moving forward so that, you know, at the end of the year, we can go back and clip this off and either make you look really, really good or maybe not. so good. <laughs> well, can I just say that, we just did an entire podcast and we did not have to mention Jimmy Butler much. So right. that alone, I think you have to feel pretty good about this team because that speaks to the depth that we're we're talked about four or five players that we're not even mentioning Jimmy Butler. Right. So um, I, I go back to the depth thing. I think that's going to be so important because I think everybody keeps mentioning when this team gets healthy, but like, will they ever be fully healthy? Because is that even a thing in this league? It's right. not really. So you're going to have to adjust and what team is better to adjust and, and, and kind of do that than this Miami Heat team who just did it in the playoffs. They lost their best scorer and was able to adjust and get to the NBA Finals that you have to feel good uh, about that specifically. So my expectations are if you have Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, and Bam Adebayo throughout, you know, starting the playoffs again, and I know I'm fast forwarding to the playoffs, but that's always what you're <laughs> no, going to have to do. that's what you do here. Yeah, yeah you, just, you just make sure you get into the top eight, actually top ten nowadays. You just right. make sure you get there, and then you're good. So – if you, if you just have those three and you can kind of work through your, your rotations and everything and figure out the back end and place different guys in and let certain guys get a rhythm, like even if it's a night like in Brooklyn where you, you lose, but Caleb Martin finds great rhythm where he just gets it a flow where the next game that carries over and now all of a sudden that's going to matter in two weeks. Like that's going to be a reason you win a game in two weeks because of that specific game. That stuff's going to add up that uh, I th- this team's going to have championship expectations no matter what. So you can never not say that. But I think it's hard to look at a game like I know we keep going back to this Milwaukee game and yes, they lost, but you can't not feel decent about it after watching what that they're just a tough out. And I know that's always going to be what they're called, but they're just a tough team. They're an annoying team. They're a physical team, but they also have some talent on the roster. <laughs> like they, I, I hate when there's always that conversation about that. They, they, it's just them hardworking their way through things. They have a certain amount of talent as well. So it's always going to be championship expectations. Brady Hawk, championship expectations for the Miami Heat, championship expectations for this guy right here. You can follow him at Brady Hawk 305, both on Twitter and Instagram, I believe. Uh, definitely do that. If you don't follow, I mean, I don't know how, if you're listening to this, you don't follow Brady already, but do that. His threads are terrific and informative. Um, and also like, it's fun just to see, you know, what's going on on heat Twitter. As I said, one of the, one of the focal points there, uh, Brady, thank you so much, man, for, for joining me today on this episode of Miami Mic'd Up. Yep. Thank you for having me.